All right, today on the podcast, we have uh, a guy who is in prison for the January 6th situation. He has been, there's all sorts of rumors and terrible accusations against him. We don't know what is true and what isn't, but we get his story from, you know, inside the walls uh, of uh, where he's being detained. We'll get into that today. It's pretty dramatic and an amazing thing to hear. And also during the show, uh, we get news that someone tried to kill Brett Kavanaugh last night. He was arrested, thankfully, around his house. We get into the details on that as well and talk to Josh Hammer about what would happen with the Supreme Court if, God forbid, someone, one of these crazy people, who you know, all reporting seems to be was an, uh, a pro-abortion activist, uh, if one of these people is actually successful in this attack, it's a terrible thing to think about. We get into that as well. And today's podcast brought to you in part by Relief Factor. If you're one of the millions of Americans who suffer from pain every single day, please listen up. There is hope. I know you probably have tried absolutely everything. You're like, oh, yeah, this uh, this uh, bonehead there on the uh, podcast. Yeah, he told me it's going to work. Yeah, it's going to work. He sees a doctor, you know. I technically am, but uh, don't take my word for it. Just try it. 1995, get the trial pack. It uh, will take you about three weeks. I didn't believe that Relief Factor would work. I started taking it, and I am out of pain most of the time. And I don't have it. When it does come back, it's never anything like it was. I tried everything. Please try the three-week quick start. For 1995, 70% of the people who try it go on to order more. If you want a drug-free and natural way to get your life back, relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. Wednesday night on our Wednesday night special, I told you how the federal government would use climate change as the in, uh, national emergency, which would give the president the kinds of powers that a president only gets when we are attacked on the homeland and are at war. This is coming, and I believe it is coming this fall. I'm always wrong in timing, but I don't think I'm too wrong on this. Inflation and gas prices currently being blamed on Putin. But soon, the blame will be shifted to global warming. Now, the powers that the federal government uh, will hand over to the president, he's already using the administration and the arm uh, of his office as a weapon. We are already seeing changes to FEMA, to the SEC, to the FCC, to all of the agencies that are supposed to protect and defend the Constitution are now being used to protect and defend the agenda against climate change. These powers will include sedition the power to silence people and to silence dissent and you will see more of that uh tomorrow with the january 6th thursday night must see tv that nobody is interested in watching except the extreme left and they're doing everything they can to get america to watch because this is a setup 
I have something really important uh, that I will begin to explain to you at the bottom of the hour. Hopefully, um, we are going to talk to a guy who has uh, been rotting for over a year now in jail. He has he's been charged with things that don't make any sense. We have an interview with him. I believe this is the first interview he has done. Uh, he was part of January 6th. It's my understanding that he walked into the Capitol and walked out of the Capitol. But he is now being charged uh, and hasn't had his day in court for over a year. We're going to get his story. We'll talk to him from jail where he is wasting away. Uh, it is kind of dicey. It's uh, He's got 15 minutes on the phone, and then he's got to hang up and then call us back. So it's going to be a strange interview, but that happens next hour. But let me go back to the the war that we are now facing. And I don't mean the actual hot war with the military. What I mean is the war on climate change. I want to play janet yellen from yesterday but to understand this you need to understand the war on climate has become an all agency war so every arm of the government now under joe biden must make climate change the priority so i want you to listen to what she said yesterday about gas prices you know that gas prices are not controlled by Putin. If we had continued to be energy independent as Trump had us, we would not have any of these problems right now. We would be making a ton of money. Our economy would be booming because we would be selling energy to the rest of the country. But we're not. So here's Janet Yellen yesterday. What is she saying about gas prices given the global nature of these markets that's virtually impossible for us to insulate ourselves from shocks like the ones that are occurring uh, in russia uh, that move global oil prices and look over the medium term the critical thing is that we become more dependent on the wind and the sun that are not subject Stop. to geopolitical we are looking now at moving towards wind and solar. That's the most important thing. And she's absolutely wrong and lying to you when she says we have no way to prepare against these global shocks. Yes, we do. Energy independent. We've already achieved it. And Biden dismantled it. Now, here's Debbie Stabenow yesterday on talking about the price of gas. Listen to this. I do have to say just on the issue of uh, uh, gas prices after waiting for a long time uh, to have enough chips in this country to finally get my electric vehicle. I got it uh, and drove it from Michigan to here uh, this last weekend and went by every single gas station and didn't matter how high it was. And so I'm looking forward to the opportunity for us to move to vehicles that aren't going to be dependent on the um, whims of the oil companies and the uh, international market. Okay, uh, you don't have to worry about that. If you remained energy independent, by the way, if memory serves me right, Stabenow was a very big leader in the um, 
in the carbon market. Do you remember when we were talking about this uh, in uh, what, 2008 and nine and with a carbon market where we were selling offsets, you, Barack Obama said, if my memory serves me right, this is a quote, that your gas prices would necessarily skyrocket. This is just another way through that same door to cripple our energy independence. Now, we have another thing going on. In Germany, the supermarkets in Germany put up notes on Tuesday warning customers that they are only allowed to purchase one critical product as supply chain problems hit the European continent. A Twitter user shared images of the notes next to the uh, products like pasta and flour. Ukraine isn't able to export its uh, its its wheat. That this is because of the war. But what are we doing? How are we offsetting it? Are we helping our farmers? We also the fertilizer. I can count on one hand the farmers that I know that are using fertilizer this year. That will that will reduce the crops by about 20 percent. Just that one thing. Now. They're saying that we're going to have food shortages, not just because of Ukraine, but also fertilizer. Sure. The drought, the drought and the fires, which are because of global warming, another global warming emergency. By the way, KFC in Australia, uh, it's having to uh, it's having to replace lettuce uh, they're struggling with a lettuce short and they're putting cabbage on their burgers. Um, uh, let's see. There's also KFC Queensland uh, chicken shortages now all across uh, the U.S. soaring food prices caused by disruption in global farming. Energy costs and the war in Ukraine have already started shifting American spending habits. The U.S. Agency for International Development, that's USAID, the chief of that is, see if this rings a bell, Samantha Power. Samantha Power is Cass Sunstein's wife. She is a radical. Uh, She is somebody that likes global engineering. She said, quote, I hope food shortages will push farmers towards green energy. Global warming. In the meantime, Biden has now mandated that more ethanol is to be used uh, for gasoline. Now, what does that mean? Well, uh, we now need to make 250 million more gallons of renewable fuel. This is to bring our our price of gas down. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. At the same time, Biden is saying we need to make more ethanol. The agency also denied 70 exemptions for small refineries, which had been granted the exemptions under President Trump. So they are trying. The EPA is saying, no, we're trying to bring gas prices down, but they're not. They're not doing everything they can. They are thwarting everything that we can do. In the meantime, what are they asking us to do? They're asking us now for lower gas prices 
to burn food, corn. Already, corn has skyrocketed. 30% higher corn prices with other crops rising, uh, rising by 20%. So we are, we are causing our own food shortages. Then I get this story from the New York Times. Are you still with me following the emergency orders that are coming? As the Great Salt Lake dries up, Utah faces an environmental nuclear bomb, says the New York Times. They're talking about how the Great Salt Lake is drying up and how this is going to cause all kinds of problems. Even the ski resorts will suffer from this. But eventually it will have, you know, poison air, arsenic in the air. Hmm. Well, that sounds like an emergency, doesn't it? And it's all because of a record-breaking drought. Now, let me give you a couple of other things. And then I'm going to show you historically later today exactly where this comes from, how this has worked in the past, and it is exactly the game plan that this president is using. But let me give you this. DHS, Department of Homeland Security Bulletin, yesterday warned of a heightened threat environment. The Department of Homeland Security issued a bulletin Tuesday warning of a heightened threat environment over the next several months as they monitor both the risks of domestic terrorism and foreign adversaries looking to sow discord within the U.S., to promote acts of violence. The United States remains in a heightened threat environment, as noted in the previous bulletin, and several recent attacks have highlighted the dynamic and complex structure and nature of the threat environment. In the coming months, the DHS says, we expect the threat environment to become more dynamic as several high-profile events could be exploited to justify acts of violence against a range of possible targets. Now, this is weird. Because we had yesterday a Compass Care, a pro-life reproductive health organization that services patients in the Rochester and Buffalo area. It was firebombed by pro-abortion terrorists. Compass Care wrote in a blog post that its office was firebombed. The pregnancy center said that the windows in the reception room and the nurse's office were broken and fires were started. Uh, on the building was graffiti that read Jane was here. That is a radical pro-abortion terrorist group, Jane's Revenge, which took responsibility for the firebombing of a similar pro-life organization in Madison, Wisconsin, just last month. However, even though they have posted online a night of rage when the U.S. Supreme Court hands down its ruling in Dobbs versus Jackson, the Women's Health Organization uh, is uh, that's, you know, that's Jane's revenge, I guess. Uh, they have called for a night of revenge and have urged militant action. They have selected a time of 8 p.m. for actions nationwide to begin whenever the court hands down its decision. So, wait a minute. Maybe that's what they're talking about? No. That's not what they're talking about. 
In fact, New York's governor not only ignored the violence, but instead earmarked $35 million in taxpayer funds to increase security at abortion clinics. Then the legislature passed a bill investigating pro-life pregnancy centers precisely because they do not perform abortions. Are you seeing what's coming yet? Oh, one more story. Not to worry about emergencies. The Center for Disease and Prevention has updated its guidance last week for travelers wishing to protect themselves against monkeypox. They said, wear a mask. Wearing a mask can help protect you from many diseases, including monkeypox. Late Monday night, that uh, recommendation was deleted. Why? The CDC said they removed the mask recommendation from monkeypox travel health notice because it caused confusion. Really? Is this possibly yet another health emergency? This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. Our government is um, in an interesting place, and so are we. A grand jury indictment was unsealed Monday, revealing new January 6th charges against members of the Washington State-based Proud Boys. They're now being charged with sedition. When I first saw what was happening on January 6th at the Capitol, I spoke out against it before, during, and after. I said, don't go. Don't go. Please don't go. Well, some people did, and some people, as we have seen in the footage, were real problems. Others were walking through the Capitol. My next guest from prison was one of the 800-plus that were arrested. He's also one of the Proud Boys that was charged with sedition. According to him, he walked through the door on the west side of the building of the Capitol as police stood by. He was not carrying a weapon, and he did not assault police officers. He has not been charged with a violent crime, but for over a year, he has been in prison and most of that time in solitary confinement. This, I believe, is his first national broadcast interview. His attorney petitioned the judge to reconsider the bail and on the facts that the government was withholding evidence and the prospect of a delayed trial date. The judge didn't rule on that motion for five months and then denied it. The man's name is Ethan Nordeen, and it is way past time to find out if he and others in this situation are guilty or just political prisoners. From prison now, we talk to Ethan Nordeen. Ethan, welcome to the program, sir. Hi there. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you for having me. You bet. Um, so you just were charged Monday now with sedition, alleging you, quote, engaged in meetings and encrypted communications to plan an insurrection preventing Congress from carrying out or certifying Joe Biden's presidential victory over former President Trump. Is that true? And why did you go to the Capitol and what happened there? Yeah, it's uh, absolutely not true. Um, The whole thing's been politicized um, dramatically. 
we really went there to do what we've been doing the past four or five years, um, really just attend the rally and make sure that people could do it safely. Um, everybody knows who's been paying attention to these events that groups like Antifa show up uh, very strong and, and violently. And so we volunteered our, you know, ourselves, our resources throughout the years to protect people from that violence. Um, and this has been well documented, and people who know us know that this is basically our MO every time we go to any event. Um, and, you know, like you said, a lot of us were kind of anticipating that this event was going to turn sour. Um, this was a big worry of mine as a leader, and I actually almost called off the whole thing just because when I did arrive to D.C., you could just feel it in the air. There was just a palpable mm-hmm. negative energy, like something was going to be set up and uh, any group like mine or, you know, Oath Keepers or Three Percenters are going to be blamed for it. It was just a hot topic at the time. There's a lot of political division. Um, and so that's kind of what happened when we originally got there. That was the conversation that we were having. And so, you know, but at the same time, being a leader, you have a lot of people from your club come in from all over the country and they want to participate in this event. And of course, you know, a lot of people think that this is the last time they'll get to see President Trump as president. And so it was kind of a uh, ceremonious event at the same time for us. So um, I actually just planned a small march. We thought that that was safe to do. It would allow us to check the perimeter of the area for any threatening groups like Antifa, make sure everybody could be safe. It would allow us to kind of participate with people, do some, you know, what we call hearts and minds, meet people if they're interested in joining the club or get to know us, because there's a lot of negative press about us. Probably about 90% of what's said about us is untrue. Um, And uh, we did this successfully, actually. We did our march starting at the Washington Memorial around 10 a.m. And this is all video documented. I mean, there's tons of video footage of this, even going over the plan, stating what our intentions were uh, throughout the whole day. And we did our march. We marched from the Washington Memorial to the Capitol, we did you know, some meet and greets and talked to some people, some church groups that were there. Um, and then we actually left the Capitol. And we were about a quarter mile away from the Capitol. Got some food trucks, actually, that uh, I was just kind of making a stop so everybody can get some food. And we were actually going to be leaving after we had got back to the Washington Memorial and go home. And where I had actually planned a after party and things like that. But at the food trucks, that's when President Trump made his announcement for everybody to go to the Capitol. And our thoughts on that was that he was going to be speaking. That was our interest in returning back to the Capitol was to be able to see him speak one last time. Otherwise, we were intending on going home. And so, you know, that's really what led up to everything. Everybody going to the Capitol was, you know, basically because we thought President Trump was going to be speaking. So there was absolutely no plan. There was no complex plan to overthrow the government. There's no weapons brought. Um, these encrypted messaging, uh, I mean, the government's original uh, claim was that I used encrypted messaging to direct people during this chaos to overthrow um, or overwhelm uh, the police and enter certain um, entrances in the Capitol. But my phone was dead the entire day. <laughs> I had no radio, I had no mm. communication whatsoever. And so, and the government then later, um, you know, they admitted that that wasn't true. So right off the bat, I was already indicted off false information. Um, 
and there is absolutely nothing accurate at all about their original claim against me. So that's kind of where so, we're at now. So were you, were you when you went into the Capitol, um, you know, they said that, uh, let's see if I can find it. They are calling you the most dangerous and most serious of those criminals charged for January 6th. So when you went in to the Capitol, um, did you assault or obstruct any police? Did you see that happen? Uh, absolutely not. I, I only actually went in. I was separated from my group at a certain period of time right before everybody kind of went into the Capitol. I didn't want to go originally. Uh, but again, you know, being a leader of my group, my priority was to get back with them. And so I actually waited about 30 minutes after the people had entered the building. Um, so hopefully somebody would find me, but they never did. And I started hearing that people were being allowed into the Capitol through, you know, word of mouth. And so I went to check this out for myself. And sure enough, the, the entrance that I had entered into, there was several police officers allowing people in. And so I said, okay, well, I'll take this opportunity to go and see if I can find my friends. And that's what I did. I entered the building with the permission of the police officers. This is all video on video as well. Um, I walked around. The you Capitol. asked for permission. I, I just I kind of nodded at a police officer, so I went in, and he allowed me in. Okay. You know? So at that point, I was okay under the impression that I was given permission. No officer at, at any point told me to leave, um, or that I couldn't enter the building. And I just took that opportunity to kind of walk around. It was very crowded, um, and look for people that I uh, I knew, and I just kind of stayed in one area until people ran into me. And then eventually I left out the opposite entrance I came into and left the Capitol grounds. Didn't assault anybody. Um, yeah. And basically only. Uh, you, you were not. What was that? You were not part of the group that went into any of the offices or went, tried to get onto the floor or, you know, were, were taking things for the Capitol. None of that happened with uh, you. Yeah. None of that at all. I didn't go explore into any rooms or anything. I didn't feel comfortable doing so. I mean, I'm a pretty, you know, my face is pretty well known. You know, I wasn't trying to get into any trouble, and I wasn't wearing a mask or anything. I wasn't trying to hide, you know. And so I knew what was going on, and I, I was trying to act, you know, on my best behavior um, and just be as responsible as possible and get my, you know, people together and get out of there because there was also rumor that there's an active shooter out there and so that was kind of my main priority thought was getting people out into safety so that was where my head was at anyway so, okay so um why have you been uh in prison for a year and specifically in uh solitary confinement um, that's a very good question. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Um, it's been very, very difficult there. I mean, we've not only been the politically persecuted, uh, but we've also had to endure a lot of the repercussions that COVID has brought to prisons, um, food shortages and such, uh, lockdowns constantly, um, just a complete disability to be able to even prepare for trial at all in the slightest because all these programs and everything that the prisons usually offer have been completely killed uh, due to COVID. And so, you know, with the inability to have pretrial release, it's 
been impossible to prepare for trial. I mean, if this was a trial where I actually did something wrong, I mean, I'd be looking pretty pretty poorly right now preparing for trial, but because I, you know, I am completely innocent, I have nothing to hide at all, I'm ready to go to trial, you know, a year ago, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so that's, yeah, I'm still kind of wondering why I've been down this whole time. Are the, are the, do the guards or the police or the prisoners treat you differently at all? And do you know, are there other prisoners in solitary confinement that have not been convicted of any crime? Um, there's definitely a lot of pretty horrific stories that I've heard. Uh, myself, um, I haven't gotten too much bad treatment. There's been definitely. Some- okay. I'm being told, hang on. I'm being told that you have to go. So hang on. Our producer will work uh, with you, get you back on the phone. Sorry to interrupt this, um, but he's got to play by the rules. He's only got certain chunks of time. He has to take them. Uh, what was the uh, the Netflix movie that was out on that that uh, celebrity or that uh, socialite in New York? That's the only reason why I know how phones work in prison. <laughs> you got to have a fifteen minute block, uh, and vegan? he's been was saving it, his fifteen minute. Was it that one or is it- no, 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 no? It was uh, inventing Anna. Yeah, yeah, Anna Delvey. Mm. Um, but anyway, so he'll be on uh, with us in just a minute. He's just got to hang up and call us back. Uh, I am not vouching for his uh, character, and I am also not condemning him. I think everyone deserves a trial and a timely trial, uh, and that is not happening. Uh, he's probably going to be highlighted tomorrow on January 6th, or I would assume, seeing that they say he's one of the big guys that they've got. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. From the Washington Post, breaking news today, man with weapon detained near Brett Kavanaugh's home. Uh, A California man carrying at least one weapon near Brett M. Kavanaugh's Maryland home has been taken into custody uh, custody by police after telling officers he wanted to kill the Supreme Court justice, according to people familiar with the investigation. The man described as being in his mid-20s was found to be carrying at least one weapon and burglary tools. Uh, These people said, speaking on the condition of anonymity to discuss an ongoing investigation, police were apparently notified that this person might pose a threat to the justice, but it was not immediately clear who provided the initial tip. The man apparently did not make it into Kavanaugh's property in Montgomery County, Maryland, but was stopped on a nearby street. Thank God Um, this is this is truly, truly the result of the left being primed by left uh, leftist and democratic politicians. I don't believe that you can be held responsible for, you know, ginning people up if you're not if you're not actually saying, you know, somebody's going to get you. Um, you know, it's it's really difficult. But listen to this quote from Chuck Schumer. Do you have it, Stu? This is this is when they were talking. This is before the decision that was leaked. But he's talking about 
you know, the court decisions that are coming, including Roe versus Wade. Yeah, he says, I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. That's unbelievable. Okay. I mean, that is truly unbelievable. These guys do not have protection. They have had since the leak. Thank God. Um, Josh Hammer is uh, joining us now. He is the opinion editor of Newsweek and the host of the Josh Hammer show with Newsweek. I was just on it, I think, last week or the week before. He's really wicked smart. I think one of the real intellectual leaders of the conservative movement and, uh, and a good friend. Welcome, Josh. How are you? Glenn, you're way too kind as always, but great to join you again. So, Josh, you're watching this. Um, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, apparently, it happened Tuesday night, as it's being reported. No, one report said it was Tuesday, and this one says 11.50 a.m. today. Are the justices safe First of all, it's tragic that we have to even ask that question. I mean, this, this is not a question that in a healthy republic with a healthy rule of law, with a healthy law enforcement apparatus, where there is respect for institutions, where there is no sense of this kind of two-tiered system of justice between the deplorables and everyone else, where in, in, in a healthy functioning democracy, are the justices safe is just simply not a question that ought to be asked. So the very yep. fact that we're opening a conversation with that question, I think, is telling in and of itself. But the tragic and short answer, Glenn, I think, is no. And the answer right now, I think, is it is a directly foreseeable consequence, unfortunately, of these, just the culture of anarchy, of lawlessness, of disrespect for institutions, of widespread iconoclasm that the, uh, the Democratic Party and their leftist minions have fomented. They, ha- they have directly fomented this culture. I mean, think back to the George Floyd riots in the summer of 2020, Kamala Harris there in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with bail funds for people who were rioting in the streets. Right. This is their thing. This is their thing. But, the, but even in San Francisco, obviously, with the Chesa Boudin news, lawlessness and anarchy is being rejected. The problem, obviously, is that it, it apparently has not trickled up to the Biden administration yet because there is a direct statute on the books, 18 U.S. Code 1507, that prohibits the protesting outside the justices' homes. And, you know, Attorney General Merrick Garland had some mealy mouth and memo where he said, oh, this is not appropriate. But, you know, he hasn't brought a single case. He could do that. Right. He, could, he should. And and yet tomorrow we're going to see the January 6th show trial, first show trial that I know of in my lifetime uh, here from America. We know about them in Russia and other places like that. Yesterday, terrorists firebombed a pro-life center in Buffalo. This is the second time that there has been a firebombing uh, by the revenge or Jane's revenge. Um, and they are calling for a, a, a nationwide 8 p.m. Uh, riot on the day that they release the Supreme Court releases their decision. And yet yesterday, the Homeland Security came out and they didn't really point out the anarchists. Uh, They didn't point out the left. Again, they said there is some on both sides of the issue. Well, I'd like to see that. Look, I mean, here's the thing, okay? I mean, you and I both revere the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Constitution obviously does provide you with a constitutional right to peaceably voice your opinions in the street, on a sidewalk, and so forth. 
What it does not allow you to do is to issue threats or to act violently or to try to tear down institutions of government and therefore violate the most sacrosanct rudimentary principles in the rule of law. I, I, I think another takeaway, though, that I have from this, and I think back to the leak that just happened a little over a month ago now in early May when Politico released it, because we've, we've really been in uncharted waters since then, right? This has just simply never happened in modern Supreme Court history. And the very fact that this opinion was leaked in the first place, I think, is the biggest assault on the court's institutional legitimacy over the past half century, full century. I mean, go back as far as you I want, agree. honestly. And the fact that we have not yep. discovered the identity of the, of the leaker is crazy. But I think back to the very night that that was released, it was a Monday in early May. I was, look, I was at the time watching very carefully. I was trying to see if any leading Democrats, MSNBC, left-wing cable news, talking head type figures, whether they would condemn them. To this day, I, I haven't seen a single one. A single one. No, they, they praise the leaker. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they they are praising the leaker. So they have directly abetted this culture. They really have. And at this point, they are playing with fire. And every day that the Dobbs opinion is not released, I think, only exacerbates the threat to the justice's personal safety. So do you think I mean, the thing to do, because they've got a couple of really controversial things coming and they're supposed to be ready in the next three weeks. Usually they leave the most controversial for the last so they can just get on a plane and get out of town. But that's not going to help anybody. Um, why, why would they hold these things? Just, just release them. So generally speaking, that is what they do. You're right about that. They, ju- they typically do hold the, the highest profile opinions for the last week of the term. And, and that's not a legal thing. That's not like U.S. code. They're not legally bound right. to do that. It's just kind of the, the customs that they sure. uh, to do that. They kind of. But in this particular case, because, again, we are in uncharted waters here, some, a, a leak of this nature just simply has not happened, period, full stop. Uh, I and many others said that if you care about the justices' personal safety, and by the way, not just the justices, but also the law clerks. I mean, I hate to make it personal, but I, I, I have a number of friends who are at the court this term. I mean, probably at least five, six, seven, so I consider personal friends who are clerking this term. I, I, I am worried about their personal safety, too. I mean, there are, people have tried to dock the identity mm-hmm. of the clerks who are, who are clerking for the conservative Supreme Court justice. I saw some horrible Instagram posts that basically said, here are their names, go find them. I mean, it, it's just awful, awful stuff. Jeez. And I think every day that they don't go about releasing the Dobbs opinion or at a bare minimum, Glenn, what, what I said, that, at least privately, I don't know if I said this publicly, what they should have done is the very next day or at least that week, they could have issued a one line sentence that said, uh, you know, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit is hereby overturned and Roe versus Wade is reversed opinions to follow. That, that is what they could have done, Correct. but they chose not to. And at this point, they're really, really playing with fire. And I, I just hope after today's, Horrible incident with Justice Kavanaugh that the chief justice realizes that the moment is now to release this opinion. It is now. So two things as we talk to uh, Josh Hammer from uh, Newsweek, um, and I hate to say he's from Newsweek because he's one of us. Uh, but uh, the the, uh, the 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 two questions that I have for you are this. I talked to Mike Lee and he said he thought that as soon as this court was finished this year that we would know the uh, name of the leaker and he said i hope at worst uh or at best i guess would that they would be um uh their law license would be 
uh, taken away. They would never be able to practice again uh, any kind of law anywhere in America. I would hope that that would happen. I hope more than that would happen. Uh, but he said they were waiting on that until they got all these. He thought it would come out the last day. Um, so that coupled with he also said he felt they knew pretty close, if not right on who that person who that person was. Do you agree with that or not? So first of all, Mike, Mike Lee, I respect so immensely. I actually, my, my first year of law school summer, I actually was a law clerk on the Senate Judiciary Committee staff. So I, I, go, I go pretty far back with Senator wow. Lee and his opinion on these matters is always so, so valuable here. I, I want to agree with him. What he is saying should yeah, happen. Too. That is exactly what should happen. The, yeah. the leaker should be disbarred, should be formally shunned. Unfortunately, I fear something somewhat approximating the precise opposite of that will happen. If my intuitions on this are correct, mm. and it is a, a, a liberal clerk and someone from Justice Sotomayor's chambers in particular, but perhaps Justice Kagan's or Justice Breyer's chambers, what I predict will happen is that the identity will be exposed. It's crazy it has not happened already. I mean, th- there's literally 37 law clerks here on, you know, 12 from the liberal chambers, so it's not a particularly big sample size. But the identity probably will be exposed, assuming that the marshal of the, of the Supreme Court, a woman named Gail Curley, is even remotely competent at her job. But what I predict will happen after right. that is that the leaker will effectively try to forfeit, you know, will, will forfeit some law firm career, perhaps. But then we'll get like a very rich kind of speaking MSNBC talking head gig. And frankly, it would not surprise it would not surprise me if a top 10 to top 20 law school actually hired her as a professor for reproductive rights studies or some fabricated, concocted constitutional field like that. So I I want to agree with Senator Lee, but I, I do fear something closely approximating the opposite might transpire. No. Yeah, my gut tells me the same thing. Last thing. um, God forbid somebody kills one of these justices um, and kills a conservative. That means Biden gets to pick the next justice, which would change the balance of the court um, and would absolutely set the country on fire, on fire. What do we do to make sure that these guys are safe. And I say that about both sides. I don't want either side to experience violence or threats. What do we do? So one thing that's been pointed out here, I could be wrong. I don't think any of the nine justices actually live in the district, in the district of Columbia. It, it, it's possible, actually. I shouldn't say that. It's possible, like Sotomayor or King. That's just, I, I guess I'm not positive. But I, the vast majority of them live in Maryland or Virginia, where it's worth pointing out, despite those being, in recent years, light blue states, both of those states currently have Republican governors. It's Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. It's Larry Hogan in Maryland. So in a situation like this, if the federal government is just completely dropping the ball, if they are just not going to prosecute under the statute that I mentioned earlier, if, if they are not going to send out whatever kind of DOJ, kind of FBI mercenaries that they would need to send out to protect the justice, then the onus can and should fall on Governor Hogan and Governor Youngkin to do what has to be done at kind of a state national guard level or something like that, right? It's unfortunate, I mean, but it's hardly the first time that governors have had to kind of step up when the federal government failed. I mean, I think about kind of immigration on the southern border, of course, right? I mean, whether it's Texas, Mm -hmm. Arizona, any of these border states, I mean, whenever the federal government fails to do its job, 
it is incumbent upon the states to do that job for them. If I go all the way back to the 2012 U.S. Supreme Court case, Arizona versus United States, this is kind of the whole point of Justice Scalia's remarkable dissent in that case, actually. He basically said that at the time, what Arizona was doing with respect to legal immigration was its constitutional prerogative and indeed its duty, because when the federal government fails to do its job, in that case, to secure the border, the states must and can step up. So I, I think something similar could and should happen with respect to Maryland and Virginia if the federal government fails here. Okay. Glenn Beck program here with Josh Hammer. Uh, Josh, we, we're really tight on time here, but God forbid if this person who was coming after Kavanaugh was successful in taking his life, what would happen to the decisions that are already in the queue here, like the Roe versus Wade potential reversal? So the closest thing that I can think of to a precedent here would be the Supreme Court term where Justice Scalia actually did pass away, of course. This was 2016, and famously Senate Republicans held off in the Merrick Garland thing, so it wasn't until Gorsuch the following year. So for, long story short, for the rest of that term, when the cases came out, there were only eight justices. So I think back to the Texas versus, versus United States immigration litigation that year, was a, it, was a, it was a 4-4 decision because Scalia had died. So that would be the precedent. It would just be eight justices to render an opinion. It's I, oh, I my gosh. So tragic that we've been having this conversation. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Please pray for all of our justices and go the step further. Pray that they will release these decisions. Release these decisions, please. Da, da, da.